Hey there. Thanks for joining us at Risen King Church for our weekly sermon podcast. We pray you meet God and know that you are loved today. Be sure to visit us at risenking.life to take all of your next steps and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Enjoy the message. So today I want to focus on the, the spiritual reset, which is the curriculum of the Holy Spirit, to actually renovate your soul. And what he, what he really wants to do, what his, what his agenda for you is this. He wants to restore the image because you were meant to be an image bearer of God. He wants to renew that image and then sustain it with the glory of God. Now here's, here's the deal. You have been, since you were born, you have been trying to understand and to know yourself and your own image You've been trying to get a consistent view of yourself and then a presentation of that image in such a way that people will accept you and respect you and love you. And so what happens is everybody's image is based on their perceived glory. So your perceived glory comes from your achievements. If you made straight A's, if you were a great athlete, if you were romantically very appealing, or if you're sexually attractive, these, these are all ways in which we try to have sustainable glory in order to have a good self-image. But the problem is that if your image is based on temporal things, if your image is based on your own achievements or your own attractiveness or your own ability to have financial or professional security, every one of those things can be taken away in a moment. And not a single one of those things lasts beyond mere moments. And so what the Holy Spirit is trying to do is to say to you, I want to renew your image and have you have the image that the Father has of you and it's the image of the Father for his own son, the Lord Jesus, is the image he has of you, a daughter, a son of the Most High God. And he wants his glory, his beauty, his purity, his weight, his heaviness, he wants his value and his worth to be the source of your glory. You see, if you understand this, then what the Holy Spirit is doing is he's trying to say your self-image plus your glory equals your identity. Whether you know it or not, you've been trying to get an identity since you were born. Identity can be defined as this, a consistent sense of self something that other people can recognize, something that other people can value, something that others can love. And what God is trying to do in his reset project with you is to give you an image that is supplied by his glory that will not change, that's eternal. But you see, if, if it's gonna be that for you or for me, then it's a received identity, not an achieved identity. What happens when you have your own image that you're trying to get by your own glory is it's an achieved identity. But what we have when we turn to Christ is we have the opportunity to exchange our achieved identity 
for a received identity. Now, the achieved identity is always imperfect. It's always fallible. It's always, it's always veiled with shame and guilt and all this stuff. But the received identity is perfect. It's the glory of Jesus. It's the obedience of Jesus. It's the righteousness of God in Christ. See, if you have a received identity, no longer is it your record. It's Jesus' record. No longer is it your resume or your transcript. It's Jesus' resume. It's Jesus' transcript. And when the enemy comes and he accuses you, you just put up your resume. When I first heard this, I was a sophomore in college. I was 19 years old. I was at a Christmas conference, and this was taught. And my soul leapt for joy at the truth of this, a received identity. But here was the issue. I wasn't ready for it. I didn't want a received identity. I wanted an achieved identity. I didn't want to trade my own accomplishments. I didn't want to trade my own ability to make myself appealing. I wanted God to make me appealing, especially to girls. Because I I was like, well, this is all great, but I, I really want a girlfriend, you know? I want a job. I want money. I want fame. I want respect. I want this. That doesn't seem to give me that automatically. So God... Power my will so that I can be the best pastor, the best missionary, so I can be good looking. Take the pimples away in Jesus' name. Why do I tell you that story? Because I had to break before I could receive the identity. But the breaking was coming to the end of myself. It was when I no longer thought I could be a good husband. It was when I no longer thought I could ever achieve as a missionary all that I wanted to achieve. It was when I came to realize that achieved identity didn't work. And it almost killed me. I'm asking you today to receive this message and not wait till your whole life is destroyed before you realize your glory is worthless. Because it takes tremendous faith to tell you the truth. To say, I will exchange, I will set aside as garbage my own achieved identity for a received identity. But practically speaking, I look back and I said, if I could have, if I could have at 19, if I could have said, Lord, I renounce my achieved identity, I count it as loss for the sake of knowing Christ. If I could have done that, do you know what would have, the difference would have been that when people were instructing me and teaching me, I wouldn't have seen it as an attack. When people were criticizing me as a young missionary, a young pastor, I wouldn't say, this is an attack on me. I would have said, no, they're trying to help my character. And when they said, oh, you're so great, I would have been able to handle it without suddenly saying, yeah, I am. (laughs) Don't you know it? 
Now, maybe that wasn't your story at all, but it was mine, is that criticism would destroy me and praise and accolades would inflate me. Because, you see, I was still trying to have an image based on my glory. I was still trying to achieve my identity instead of by faith receiving my identity. See, when you receive your identity and someone comes and says, this is what's wrong with you, it doesn't destroy you because it can't change what you've received. And when someone says you're the greatest ever, it can't change that the only record that matters to you is Jesus' record, not yours. Your performance, instead of being something to gain acceptance, is a performance that comes from your acceptance. And you're able not to say, oh, it was all Jesus, but you're able actually to give Jesus glory for everything you do. What I see in most of our lives is we're still mixing the received identity with the achieved identity. And one of the ways I know this is is because in many church settings, in many religious settings, you cannot be real. You can't come to the church and say, I'm struggling with drugs without being afraid. People are going to say, are you even a Christian? Or to say, I'm struggling with sexual immorality. Well, you might, maybe you don't even know Christ. Because what happens is so often the church has not grasped this, this received identity as a part of the gospel, only thinking that you're supposed to you know, enter into relationship with God through the gospel, and then you're supposed to achieve a holiness on your own. And so when you're failing, you must be failing, which means you must be an identity, a failure. But you see, if it's received, then even when I'm failing, I'm not a failure. Even when I'm struggling, I'm not just a struggler. Even when it feels like I'm losing, I'm not a loser because it's not my record. It's not my resume. It's not my transcript. It's not my righteousness. And when it's a received identity, friends, confession is encouraged. Because without truthfulness, there cannot be freedom. Do you know what confession is? It's the verbal consent for the Holy Spirit to be the power to change you and the change agent who gets the glory for the change. I have done this a long time. I cannot change myself. But when I confess the areas that the Spirit is convicting me of, I give him verbal consent to come in and change me from the inside out. And I can do that because my identity is settled. The fact you wrestle with something doesn't define you because your identity is not behavior-based. It's relationship-based. Are you tracking with me in this? Yes, sir. Is this just my therapy time? or <laughs> Are you quiet because you're thinking? Yes. Can you say this with me then? Received identity. Received identity. Image, Image. Based on glory. Based on glory. 
Let me just hit this one more time really hard. Image is always linked to glory. So if your glory is your glory, then your image is very, very weak. You want to know the weakest of self-images? People who have to drop names. Why is that? They don't even have enough glory of their own. They have to borrow someone else's. You understand, when you're dropping names, you're saying, I have worth because this person has worth. I have value because this person is important. You should love me because this person is lovable. See, image is always linked to glory. And if your glory is not linked to the glory of Jesus, then your glory is temporary and your image is very vulnerable. So listen to what Paul says. Come on, this is pretty good stuff. Maybe, maybe I'm the only one liking it. All right. Give me, I need a little glory for my image today. No, I'll tell you, I, I do want to tell you this. I think, I think in the first service, I felt so emotional in this message, even though it's kind of deep and it's, it's both philosophical and psychological, I feel like it's so foundational that if everything we do after this isn't based on our received identity, we'll have to go back and start over. We'll have to be reset again and again because if the foundation is not there, Everything built is shaky. So I wanted to actually cover more today than I will, but I felt like the Holy Spirit has put his finger on this thing of you and I have been building self-images our whole life. And we've been trying to get glory, even if we steal it from somebody else. Because unconsciously or consciously, you know that you've been trying to get a consistent sense of self where you are, you have value, where you have some kind of weight that'll sustain you through life's trials. And there's some kind of beauty or purity that you can point to and say, don't you see I'm worthy of love? Don't you see you shouldn't treat me like that? Don't you see there should be a way for me? And until we get to the place where you say, I think my own way of doing that is garbage. And you count your past as loss, like Paul did. And then you say, but I have something so much better. I have a glory that cannot be taken away, which means it's linked to my image, which cannot be changed. You see, this is why it's so important that you let the Holy Spirit have his way. Why is it so important that I say to you that you confess verbally? Because when you confess, you are giving him consent. Change me. Be the power to change me. Be the agent of change in me. But when you keep quiet, when you're not confessing, when you're not being real, you're saying, nobody can change me. And nothing will change me. 
And in my own experience of from the time I was 19 till the time I was about 28 years old, about nine years, what the Spirit had to do to get me to the place of surrender to a received identity was painful. I don't want that for you. I want today to be the day you make the exchange. Now listen, or read with me actually, what Paul has to say about this. This is a passage that starts in 2 Corinthians 3, and it goes on through the chapter. I want us to read it together. Would you read it out loud with me? We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. Now, what is Paul saying here? He's saying this very simple thing. If you're still trying to save yourself, if you're still trying to craft an image of yourself, you are in a place where your very heart is veiled to the glory of God. And this is one of the hardest passages because it says religious people can read the truth but can't see the truth because the truth is veiled to them. You see, as long as you look at the Bible or you look at the, the moral law of God or whatever it is and you say, how can I fulfill this? Then the veil will be over your eyes because you think you still can fulfill it. And the veil goes something like this. At least I'm better than these people. You see, you're not looking for justification by faith when you're religious. You're looking for justification by comparison. You look for somebody else worse than you, less devoted than you, less spiritual than you, and you say, see, I'm in because they're out. And the sad part about this message is it's blunt. And it's talking about our neighbors and friends who are devoted, who are devout, who are orthodox. And it says they read the word, but they read it with a veil. And it says until you come to Christ, you can't even see the glory. You see, they didn't hide Moses' face simply because the glory was fading, although that was part of it. They also hid his face because the glory was convicting. Because when they saw how glorious he was, it revealed how inglorious they were. And the only way to come to God is not through your own righteousness or through somehow saying, I compare favorably to this person. Or to this group. The only way is to recognize that when you read Moses, you're condemned. When you read the Ten Commandments, you go, I'm a sinner. When you look at the law of God, you don't say, look how good I am. You say, look how lost I am. How unacceptable I am. Let me just quickly say this to you. Righteousness is a word we don't use much, but it's a, it is a concept we apply all the time. 
That's why I use the word record, resume, transcript. Those are three records of your righteousness. You want to get in a school, you have to have righteousness. It's called your transcript. You want to get a job, you have to have a resume. That's your righteousness for the job. But if you want to see it another way, there's another way to look at it, is, is there any place in the world where they have warrants against your arrest? Or they have warrants against you? I got two places. <laughs> Nyack and New York City. So if you were to say, Mike, are you righteous in the state of New York? I'd say, no, I got a parking ticket in Nyack, and I got this thing where they said I wasn't 12 feet from the hydrant, and I dispute it in Manhattan. <laughs> now, I can be mad all day at Manhattan, but they still got the warrant against me. And someday they're going to come get me, I think, but... Uh, <laughs> You understand? But if I were to say, I am righteous, you'd say, nope, not in Manhattan. Nope, not in Nyack. Do you know, a often a cup of coffee costs me $50 in Nyack because of the parking. It's good coffee, but it's not that good. So if anybody ever says to you, are you righteous? You would have to say, no. And the Bible says, there's none righteous. No, not one. Why do I rely on the record of Jesus? Because when Jesus went into death, no sin could be found on him. He was found righteous. Though he who knew no sin became sin for my sake, when he went into death, death could find no fault in him. And so if you want to go into death and have no fault found in you, you have to be found in Jesus. That's why this whole thing is faith. It's not works. You see, if you still think somehow you can be good enough, that's the veil. That's the veil that Paul's talking about. Now, what else does he say? Read it with me. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Let's say that again. Will you say it with me? But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Let's stop there for just a second. You may be the worst Christian in this room. I'm looking to see who that is. But do you see how special you are? You may be the least religious person around. But when you turn to Jesus... Supernaturally, spiritually, the veil is torn away. The glory is now yours to reflect. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I have the words to say it, but do you understand how amazing this is? You have had the veil torn away. Other people have studied much harder than you have. Other people have worked much harder than you ever have. Some people have even longed to see what you can see because you turned to the Lord. And that's what matters. And that, that's what the reset is today. It's not just turn from sin. It's turn to the Lord. Tell him to turn to the Lord.
I, I know this is in many ways an ordinary Sunday, but would you let the power that's here right now come into your heart? You understand nothing is beyond your understanding if the veil has been torn away. And all you're called on to do is turn to the Lord. Read verse 17 and following. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So what is the received identity? It's image plus glory. What is it that happens when you turn to the Lord? He renews your image, transforming it into the image bearer of Christ, and he sustains that image not with your glory, but with Jesus' glory. And as you're turning to the Lord, you're experiencing greater and greater freedom which then allows you to have ever-increasing glory. You understand? This is yours if you are in Christ. This isn't something you achieve, friends. This is something you realize, I need this, I receive this. But don't be like this 19-year-old me. I believed it, but I didn't receive it. It was in the back of my mind. It was there when everything else fell apart, but it was not received when it was first offered. There had to be nine years of bitterness, nine years of trials in which I questioned God and his closeness and his love to me, and all the while trying to prove I was worthy. Now, why am I saying all this? Because this is the biblical idea that you and I are on a lifetime change project. It isn't just that it, you change only when you come to Christ. You are changing every day with Christ into e either that received identity or you're still trying to achieve the identity. That is one persistent person. <laughs> We should get them to pray for us. <laughs> All right, so listen, listen up. The received identity doesn't come without pain. There are Old Testament imagery of this kind of change that happens in the life of a follower of Christ. There's this kind of change that happens, and it's actually rigorous, it's thorough, and often very painful. Because real repentance cannot simply be superficial. The Holy Spirit will show you behaviors, attitudes. He'll show you things that you've said that are the wrong things to say. But he's always pointing at where does that come from. He wants the root so that he can have spiritual fruit. So what are the images? Well, Jeremiah 4.4 says the change project, the agenda, is circumcision of the heart. That's bloody. That's painful. I don't know about you, but I've never seen the Holy Spirit use anesthetics. 
He seems to use the scalpel without any painkillers. Second thing is that not only is he asking you to divorce yourself from the things that are not glorious, but he's also showing that there are things in our heart that have to be broken up just like hard ground with a plow. Hosea is talking about how there are these hard places There are these places where we don't let the love of God in. There are places where we are broken and we're hurt and we are protective. You understand, every sin, every place of disobedience is an issue of your love relationship with God. What the Spirit is trying to do is to melt your heart by giving you the burning love of God. But when you are resistant to his curriculum, even his love seems negative. Because he's trying to break up what you're trying to keep whole or full or complete. So the Hebrew word shub dominates the language of repentance in the Old Testament. It's used a hundred times in the book of Jeremiah alone. And it is a, a comprehensive word. It means to change the course of your actions. It means to turn away from something and it means to turn back. It's such a beautiful word and yet it can speak of such horrible things like apostasy. It can talk about how a whole people group have turned away from God. But generally speaking, it's really talking about you recognize where your heart has been hardened to God. You recognize, you begin to say, I haven't just broken the rules, I've broken God's heart. I've not just transgressed the moral law, I've committed spiritual adultery. Instead of having no other gods, I've had many other gods. And you begin to realize, I must turn back. See, there's not much good in repentance where you simply turn away from a sin if you do not turn to your God. If you do not reset that his throne is on your throne. Now, as we look at this a little more deeply, we begin to realize that biblical repentance is this about turn. Now, we have a circle in our workbook We call it the repentance circle. It was inspired by a a Kairos moment idea from Mike Breen's book on discipleship that talks about the the learning circle. But our idea is to really pinpoint, to pinpoint what the Spirit does to begin to speak to us how to change and to empower us to change. So the first thing that you need to be aware of is that there is always going to be moments of conviction. Now, how do you know the difference between conviction and condemnation? It's actually rather simple. Conviction is always going to be about things you can change. Condemnation is always going to be about things you regret because you can't change them. Now, of all the negative emotions, regret is the most useless I've ever seen. Because it leaves you with no power for the present or the future, but gets you stuck in your failures of the past. You see, regret speaks to an achieved identity, but regret has no effect against a received identity. 
If my glory is Christ, then my past belongs to Christ. If my glory is Christ, then my present belongs to Christ. And if my glory is Christ, then my future belongs to Christ. And regret, you do not have a place in my life. Regret is an access point of the accuser. Here's what's fascinating. Remember I said how often churches are not places of received identity? So if you say, I've done this, or even if you hurt someone, or, or you let someone down, and all the time they cannot forgive you, but they constantly bombard you with regret, do you understand? And when they are accusing you, especially in the church, if you've screwed up, a lot of times they're like, you may not even be a Christian. Well, the person saying that might not even be a Christian. <laughs> because they don't understand Christianity. You see, if you're on the side of the accuser when you deal with people's sin, then you're on the side of the accuser. That's the wrong side. I don't know about you, but I've never seen anyone change for the good from shame. It's the kindness of the Lord that leads to repentance. Godly sorrow produces repentance and leaves no regret. So do you want to know which voice you're listening to? If it's regret, it's the accuser. And you have a stop sign for the accuser. Romans 8.1 There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now that doesn't mean you didn't mess up. It just means it hasn't changed your identity because it's not based on your glory and it's not based on your image. It's based on you being in the image of Christ. And guess what? When you mess up, it was there already. The Holy Spirit just said, now it's time to know. Now it's time to see this area of hardness. I'm putting the plow to that area. And I'm asking, will you circumcise your heart? Are you hearing me? Yes, sir. So conviction is the Spirit's way of making you uncomfortable even with things you might have been comfortable with. He may say, that relationship's not good for you. He might say, hey... You can't do it that way at your job. That doesn't have integrity. Now, you might say, well, why hasn't he put his hand on that before? Because you weren't ready to see it. You are a hot bag of mess. I mean, <laughs> that's just... And if he showed you all of it at once, you would just die on the spot. If he showed all, all of it to us at once, we'd just kill you on the spot. <laughs> and it's true of all of us. We are all so sinful, Christ had to die for us. What does that mean except we are really a mess? We are all so sinful, Christ had to die for us. But the good news is we are all so loved, Christ chose to die for us. And until we get that, 
I mean, one of the statements that helped me so much is I'm far worse than I ever dared believe, but I'm far more loved than I ever hoped to believe. Yeah, you still glad you came today? <laughs> Maybe not, huh? So here's, here's where I want to close today. Why is it that this received identity is so important? Well, because this received identity is one of the benefits of God's covenant love for you. See, God always knew that you couldn't keep the commandments. He always knew that you would be a covenant breaker, even if you wanted to be a covenant keeper. And so here's what he did when he made the covenant that he would be your God and you would be his people. He had in mind all along that you would not be able to fulfill that covenant. So Christ himself fulfills the covenant. The very one who made the covenant fulfills the covenant for us. His perfect obedience, his perfect righteousness. But then, he won't let us take the punishment for our disobedience. He himself on the cross became the punishment for every sin, every sickness in your life. He took our sorrows, he took our infirmities, he took our iniquities, and he who knew no sin became sin that you might become the righteousness of God in Christ. You see, when, when he first offered me and, and made it clear to me there was a received identity, I wasn't ready for covenant mercy. I was thinking, I can deserve an identity. I can be a great missionary. I can do this. I can do that. And it took him showing me how desperate I was for glory and how unable to attain glory to have a sustainable image and identity. But when I was at my worst, when I was at my worst, it was, it was his covenant mercy. It was his covenant love. It was his promise of embrace. It was his extending his arms into the worst situation of my life. Let me illustrate it this way. I've done it many times. Some of you are probably tired of it, but I love it so much. I absolutely hate Costco. I... Now, I hate Costco, but I love saving money, so I, I torture myself and I go to Costco. But when I go to Costco, I guard my receipt with my life because I know that the only way I'm getting out of Costco is to show them that receipt. I am pretty sure that hell is you're stuck in Costco with no receipt and they keep sending you back. But here's the thing, when I go up to the, to the person at the, count, uh, you know, at the door, I show them my receipt. And what I'm saying is this, I have paid already. I do not have to pay again for what I've already paid for. You have to let me out of this place. And as I go, I go, na 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 na. Now, why am I saying that? Because because this is what I know that I know. I have a receipt. 
I have a receipt. Why do I have a receipt? Because it was awesome that Jesus went into death for me. It was awesome that he died for my sins. But you see, if he's not alive, it's just a nice action. It's just a loving act that has no significance whatsoever. But because he's raised from the dead, his resurrection is the Father's receipt that says, paid in full. And I know I'm yelling because I'm excited about this. You see, you know what Paul was doing when he said, death, where's your victory? Death, where's your sting? He was pulling out his receipt. And he was saying, look, it's paid in full. Death, where's your victory? Death, where is your sting? The resurrection is the receipt. But here's the thing. It's not just when you die. It's when you face trials, you go, paid in full. It's when you failed, and when you've sinned, you still put up the receipt and say, paid in full. It's when you're about to face death, and you don't know what's exactly on the other side, but you say, I know who I'm going to, and I know where I'll be, because it's paid in full. And you say to death, na 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 Because that's exactly what Paul said. Death, where is your victory? Where's your sting? Na, 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 na. Why is this so important? Because to me, because when I didn't live in my received identity, I was devoted to being a missionary. I was devoted to be a seminary student. I was devoted to being a pastor, a husband, a father, and I failed at all of them. I failed miserably. I failed horribly. I couldn't take it anymore. I was on the border between Mexico and the U.S. And I began to plan how I would end my own life. I could not go further. I, I, I had nothing left. No glory, no image. And in a hotel room in Texas, down in Brownsville, I was getting ready to get in my car to drive over a cliff. And I heard the audible voice of God say, Mike, I love you. And I, I gotta tell you, I argued with the voice. I said, I'm not going back to being a missionary. Mike, I love you. I don't think I wanna be a husband anymore. I don't think I wanna be a father anymore. Mike, I love you. Now I'll tell you two things about that. Number one, is in that moment, he was reaching into Texas, into the border, into my despair, and it was his covenantal arms embracing me and saying, even though you haven't received it, it's still here for you. I received identity, not an achieved one, because I was at the lowest point of achievement, and he was saying, I love you. He's saying, receive your identity. But the second thing was this. He said my name in a way that only the Father, through the Spirit, for the Son, could say my name. I don't know about you, but there was a way my mother would say my name. And nobody can say my name like my mother. 
Like I knew she was happy with me, sad with me, or it was DEFCON 5 or whatever. Because of the tone she used to say my name. And when the Father spoke my name through the Spirit for the sake of the Son, it drew me. It drew me with covenant arms. It drew me with covenant mercy. And I've never known a day that he hasn't called me by name. And it was so interesting when I started learning to hear the voice of God for myself. Every day he would go, Mike, I love you. And I'm like, Lord, you told me that a while back. He goes, you still haven't gotten it. I think he could say it to us for the rest of our lives and there would still be more receiving of our identity. There'd be more receiving of saying the receipt, the debt is paid. The father will never ask a second payment for what the son has already paid. And there'll be instances where you go, surely his mercy doesn't extend to this. And he'll say, my mercy extends to wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Because I call you by name and I've set my love upon you. I took the punishment so you could have the benefit. You're my covenant son. You're my covenant daughter. A received identity with image and worth in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand with me as we close today? I think it's so important that we start this reset in our lives from a place of our received identity. Knowing how deeply loved you are by the Father. So I want to read this over you this morning. If you're willing, would you just open up your hands to receive? This is from Colossians chapter three and it's the message translation. It says this, receive this today. So if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along eyes to the ground, absorb with the things right in front of you. Look up and be alert to what is going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from his perspective. Your old life is dead. Your new life, which is your real life, even though invisible to spectators, is with Christ in God. He is your life. When Christ, your real life, remember, shows up, you'll show up too. The real you, the glorious you. And that means killing off everything connected with the way of death, doing whatever you feel like, whenever you feel like it, and grabbing whatever is attractive to you. That's a life shaped by things and feelings instead of by God. It wasn't long ago that you were doing all that stuff and not knowing any better. But now you are dressed in a new wardrobe, chosen by God for this new life of love. Dress in the wardrobe God picked out for you. And regardless of whatever else you put on, wear love. It's your basic, all-purpose garment. Never be without it. Friends, you've been clothed with the love of God. Receive your identity of love today. I bless you in Jesus' name. Have a great week, everyone.